Hi there, guys. What's up? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. We are going to chat about a couple pertinent topics. It is OBR's Wide Receiver Week at the website, and we're going to talk about wide receivers uh, from our Twitch show with Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns here in just a minute. Before, I want to share an interview that I did with Quincy Carrier, who does a great job on YouTube um, about Baker Mayfield and the the thing we saw today, which is three teams now that have been quickly wrapped into their new quarterback situations. The Falcons with Marcus Mariota, the Saints with Jameis Winston, and now the trade that we saw with Matt Ryan on uh, you know the the third the third round pick for him uh, going to the Colts. So this means places that we had considered Baker as an option for have now evaporated. There have been some damning words put out by teams that he was interested in, and I think we just have to discuss it. The the reason we have to discuss it is, yeah, we've talked about Baker Mayfield enough and where this is going and the divorce that's imminent here, obviously, but also it pertains to the Browns draft picks moving forward that they can can collect back from Mayfield to offset some of the Deshaun Watson stuff. So it's, it is still a pertinent topic, one that I think we need to discuss and one that I think is pretty fluid in terms of what the Browns might be able to get back. And, and it is an important trade for Cleveland to get back zero dead cap, lose that $19 million and get some picks back. So they have to navigate this carefully. So I tried to illustrate that for you in this conversation with Quincy, who also does a great job. Let's get over to that chat with Quincy and myself right now. Okay, so pumped to have Quincy Carrier on. He's on YouTube. You can find him there, man. Some of the best YouTube content on the Browns. Not just commentary the presentation spot on the the graphic work my man does it all pumped to have quincy back on this show what's happening you know i gotta give my college education my money right at some point right with that whole thing right so yeah, you know man. i try my best i try my best but thank you, you do for a great job yeah man you do a great job my pleasure so let's let's just talk about the topic i wanted to really broach with you which is this baker mayfield situation and how the NFL perceives him based on what we thought was perception and what's reality. And it's all mixed up right now. So there are obvious legs of this situation, which are unique to Mayfield in terms of he is coming back from a serious shoulder injury. He is coming off of his worst season as a pro, and he is going into the last year of a $19 million fifth year option, 18 and some high change. I think he's like 18.9. So there are things against it, but in my opinion, and I'm just going to be blunt and get to the point, Quincy, and you respond. If the NFL had teams that cared enough about thinking this guy is a real potential franchise quarterback, a deal would have been done yesterday. The Texans would have taken him back. I don't see any other way to look at this because the NFL is so starving for quarterbacks. We saw Mariota. We saw uh, we saw Jameis Winston get signed. We saw 37-year-old Matt Ryan get traded for a third-round pick. These teams chose those players over Mayfield. And again, in a quarterback-hungry league, if they really thought this guy was a dude, like a legitimate one that we build around, all that other stuff goes to the side, Quincy, and they just make the deal, whatever it takes to make the deal. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, this is a sobering reality for a lot of folks. Some people have been saying this for quite a while now, but this is a re sobering reality, right? The reality is, is that teams around the NFL do not view Baker Mayfield as a guy that they want to get or have to get on their roster. And they view him much more like, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is viewed, right? Like this in a world where Kirk Cousins cannot even think about leaving Minnesota and people make all the jokes that they want to in the world about Kirk Cousins in a world where the Saints 
are looking at Jameis Winston and saying, nah, I'd rather rock with that than, than roll the dice on Baker Mayfield. That tells you everywhere, everything you need to know about how teams have viewed him. Um, and it's probably been like that for quite a while. And it also, I think that illuminates on how highly people think of what Cleveland has in their front office and their coaching situation. Because this isn't a situation like Sam Darnold, right? Where people just assume that the Jets are incompetent and we can fix that. People mm-hmm. don't assume that with the Cleveland Browns, or at least this rendition of the Cleveland Browns, because they look at Andrew Barry. He's well, well respected around the league. They look at Kevin Stefanski. They feel like he has a pretty quarterback-friendly system. And they look at Baker Mayfield and go, how are you not able to make this work? They have put everything around you. They have given you an offensive line. They have paid for wide receivers. They have really invested in you at that quarterback position, and you're not able to make it work, that tells you that around the league, they saw that Baker was probably the issue with the Cleveland Browns more so than it was Andrew Barry or Kevin Stefanski. I know locally this got muddied with a lot of different arguments, but nationally it's unquestioned. I mean, how many people – here's how you know that this was a situation that was going to be almost inevitable once you had to get rid of Baker Mayfield was how many people in the whole Baker war stuff that was happening on Twitter were out here defending Baker that were fans of other teams, right? Nobody, if Lamar Jackson is having a dispute with the Baltimore Ravens, I am going to say, Hey man, I'll take Lamar, right? You would take Lamar. Um, that's not what was happening. It was just Browns fans arguing with other Browns fans, and nobody else was like, hey, man, if Baker's available, I would love to take him. That wasn't really the dialogue. So when that is the case, you know, you have a guy who can work in a certain situation whose leadership styles might be seen as abrasive to a lot of guys and a guy who went number one overall, but not a lot of teams would have took him number one overall, right? And that's where you're at. Yeah, and you get to the point, too, where there are destination-based things here, right, where he had, uh, um, you know, I'm trying to pull up the exact quote where it was written up about the Colts and what their decision was, and and basically here's what it said. The Colts never saw Mayfield as the right fit, not after his acrimonious exit from Cleveland became a formality last week. The interest mostly one-sided. Mayfield agitated over the Browns' public pursuit of Deshaun Watson. Last week, sought a trade, telling Browns general manager Andrew Barry that Indianapolis was a preferred destination, according to the Athletics' Jeff Howe. The Colts' interest was lukewarm at best. Baker wanted the Colts. The Colts did not want Baker. That seems to be a resounding theme here, which is where Baker overextended himself with the request before the actual thing happened, Mm -hmm. put out something that was not necessary, did maybe rub some teams like I'm reading there with the Colts the wrong way about man. Maybe a lot of the things inside Cleveland's locker room that were catching blame his direction are pretty true. The only people, Quincy, there's been a couple here and there that have come to his defense, not really anybody that is national relevance. There are two people that are hanging hangers on. And I think as we look at the value of what he has still out there, there's a couple destinations that loom. Carolina is one. We'll see how they act. I think the other one is Detroit is a sleeper uh, as a sleeper team, partly because of John Dorsey. And then Seattle is definitely in the cards as well, because they're just uh, they've always been kind of connected and, and, and interested in the player Baker Mayfield. And as we saw today and you and I were chatting about off air, Alonzo Highsmith, who's connected out there, is uh, liking tweets where somebody said that a healthy Baker Mayfield is better than Deshaun Watson, to which. Uh, strictly football player conversation. It's not even in the same ballpark. We're not even we're not even sitting in the same ballpark here. So so what we have here is the desire to to pull off a deal, which I have said uh, off the air 
to other folks like this is where we tell how good Andrew Barry is. The 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 Deshaun Watson trade was pretty much like a copy paste trade. We knew what was necessary. It was about sprinkling in a couple other things. We saw that fourth rounder get added today. I don't know why. We need to get to the bottom of that. But nonetheless, we saw a pretty standard trade thing going on. But now we see how good Andrew Barry is at getting something for somebody. So is he patient? They don't have to rush this trade. Uh, they, they don't have to pay Mayfield a dollar until the season gets here. There's no bonus deadlines. There's none of that. So they don't have to rush it. Will they play it until after the draft when some team is desperate? They didn't get their quarterback in the first or second round or play it up to camp when some team has some issue with their guy. That's going to be the true test of skill for Andrew Barry, mapping out the perfect time, the perfect opportunity, maximizing the value, because right now the value is not high. But you look around and you say, OK, I saw an article last week and I cannot think of the fellow who wrote the article. He's pretty respected. I apologize to this guy who would never listen to this pod, but I apologize to him nonetheless. He wrote an article with like Andy Janovich was talking about Baker's respecting Mayfield's toughness. And it was a whole article built around toughness. One of the names connected was Scott McLaughlin, the former Browns front office member who took over a role after um, uh, he was with the GM of the Redskins, uh, formerly the Redskins for a while. I'm not sure who McLaughlin's with now. He might be with somebody else. Somebody can hit up the mentions of this pod about it, but he's all about Mayfield's toughness. And he's like, half of the league would want this guy. Um, you know, half the league would be lined up to take this guy. Just talking about all of these elements that we've argued against, where it's like the league doesn't view him that way. He writes this article, how half the league take him uh, toughness, bravado, uh, to playing when all the chips are down, leadership. And then it's like, okay, well, here we are. Nothing's changed. You got maybe this John Dorsey connection in Detroit. Maybe he's interested. Or Highsmith convinces his guys out in Seattle. That feels like, Quincy, the only angle here is the non-analytic part of the Browns' former front office stepping up and just saying, hey, we're going to take a swing for this guy. Otherwise, man, I don't know. I don't know who takes him. I really don't know who pulls the trigger and, and offers anything of relevance at this point. And even in the arguments for him, you see the trouble, right? When your argument for Baker Mayfield almost all relies on intangibles and things you cannot measure on the football field or even know how important they are um, based on any reasonable statistic, then that tells you exactly where you are with the guy. People don't want to trade for intangibles. People want to trade for players, assets, right? When we talk about other quarterbacks around the league, we are not talking about the intangibles of Lamar Jackson, right? We're not like, oh man, Lamar is this and that. No, we're like, Lamar is ridiculously hard to defend because of everything he could do on the football field, mm -hmm. right? When the conversation for a player, even in the positive direction, is all about his intangibles, and let's talk about the intangibles for just a hot second here, because, yeah, you could say he has those intangibles. This is also a guy who was threatened to sit out a whole season on his fifth-year option a year after he threw for 17 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and had the 27th QBR. I can understand where a front office would look at how Baker Mayfield handled this situation and go, this is ridiculous. This guy is acting like a superstar quarterback, acting like the star of the show when he might be an open and act, right? And that's the reality with Baker Mayfield. If you got long-term plans for him, you might be prepared to have him be a high-quality backup in the NFL, right? But do you think he's mature enough to handle that role given how he has handled this situation in Cleveland? I would not think so. I would not have great confidence given how he has handled this situation and given how he is the only one 
to handle this situation, even of those that we view as immature, right? We view Jameis Winston as somebody who has had maturity problems in the NFL. He did not handle his situation like this in Tampa Bay or last year um, with the Saints. We look at Carson Wentz as somebody who has an issue rubbing his teammates the wrong way, both in Philadelphia and Indianapolis. And then he didn't handle this situation like this in Philly, right? So if those guys, not like, I'm not even saying somebody like Matt Ryan, who is a stand-up professional, been in the league forever, knows it's a business, right? That's almost an unfair comparison to a fourth-year quarterback. But even those guys, the, the younger guys, Marcus Mariota, who are in these situations, did not handle that situation like that. That makes you look at Baker Mayfield, who is a old fourth-year quarterback, by the way, too. He's, what, 27? He spent an extra year in college. Mm-hmm. And you look at him and you go, if you haven't reached a level of maturity that we are seeing out of guys that are your age and younger, why would we have any reason to believe that it's going to be different just because I'm here, right? Like, that makes no sense to anybody, and that's the issue, right? You could talk about the on-field stuff with Baker Mayfield, and let's be real. In the NFL, if you show a year of promise at quarterback, usually teams want to trade for you, right? I mean, it might sound ridiculous here, but we might live in a world (laughs) – where Case Keenum might go for about the same value as Baker Mayfield um, when it comes to a trade. And that's all to do with how Baker, in my opinion, I'm saying in my opinion, all to do with how Baker's camp has decided to handle this whole situation since he tore his labrum. This goes back to the reports leaking out. This goes back to the original Mary Kay article. This goes back to all of those things throughout this year that made this thing a lot more turbulent than it did, right? The situation with Odell, the whole situation with disagreeing with the offense, the constant throwing the coaching staff under the bus for certain decisions that they made in crunch time. All of this stuff adds up. And when you get to the point to where you're requesting a trade for a team that already wants to trade you, then I don't know who is, I I don't want to say the word foolish, but who is bullish enough to look at that and go, man, I can change that. You can look at Carson Wentz at six foot five and not really see his issues bubble up to the surface and go, ah, yeah, I can fix that. Well, Baker Mayfield, so much of this has been going on for so long. It was a discussion when they drafted him. And it's been the exact same way since his junior year at Oklahoma till now. That is six years. I don't know about you, Jake, but from my sophomore year of high school to when I graduated college, I was a completely different human being at that point, right? A lot of growth can happen in six years, right? You know, it's not a negligible amount of time. And when you look at that, and this dude has been like this for six years, there's a part of you, if you're going to give up anything for Baker Mayfield, and even if you don't give up anything, you're still taking on $18 million and you're still bringing in somebody that you might view as somebody who could have a potential to bring down the entire locker room because he has not really had a team mentality so far. So that's just he has made this situation a lot more difficult than it had to be. I don't know if you've watched J.T. O'Sullivan, the QB film room. He does great work over there. Yeah. Yeah. But he has a film breakdown where he says Baker Mayfield on the field seems to have a uncanny knack to make his life a lot more difficult than it needs to be and it seems like that trait carries off the field as well because this is a lot more difficult than it ever should have been and a lot of this and some of it's on the Browns but a lot of this is on Baker in his camp and how they've handled this 
Yeah, well said. All of that. Very well said. I, I, I don't. And again, I, I put out a tweet today that I think somebody can buy low on Baker here in a, in a good way. Right. There have been stretches of pretty good play from him. Not enough to warrant people believing in him the right way. But there is an opportunity for somebody, in my opinion, to buy low uh, on the player and maybe get some return out of it. Right. Because it's all about risk reward in the NFL. You can get in low right now. It feels like maybe the asking price is still far higher than we understand because the Browns are saying, hey, man, we don't mind till waiting till after the draft and playing out and getting some 2023 capital when it's not right in front of people. Like, you know, we're 45 days out. Most people, Quincy, got the, the, the boards are mapped. Mm-hmm. Picks are done. We know what we're going to get. And they're coveting those 22s. But when 22 ends and it's like, ah, it's June and we didn't get our guy or it's mid-May and we didn't get our guy and eh, it's a 23 pick. Throw him a second conditional next year. And that's where you could see some movement. And Andrew Barry might just be as patient as can be. And we're sitting here waiting on a pick. Sorry, waiting on a trade, a trade, a trade and it might not happen for a while because what like i said earlier the money isn't owed until the year starts so they can be patient here as patient as they feel necessary to get the thing that they feel they deserve it's not like mayfield showing up for anything not going to be welcome to do those things so they can play that patient game and ultimately try to push it down the road a little bit here to get more out of it it just takes one desperate team it's all it takes is one desperate team to get that offer so I'm with you. The stuff about Mayfield, I've tried to talk about, like you're saying from JT and your angle is right too, about the self-awareness on the field. The self-awareness off the field has not been there. The growth on it and off it has not been there. I still think that that some team will get interested in a buy low opportunity here. We're actually writing something up on that opportunity tomorrow at our website here, the OBR, about Hey, man, there's still some good features of Mayfield that somebody could try to capitalize on. I don't know who that is. Somebody out there might feel like that. But there are some data that's promising for a couple of years. So we'll see uh, this this trade, this decision. This this will impact, obviously, a significant amount of the Browns regathering something for the Watson trade. But again, like you said, man, and, and I think like the theory I've had going when Deshaun has come is separating the art from the artist and you know, we're talking about Mayfield's baggage, about his leadership with the franchise. He, it's clear the baggage is different right now for Mayfield and, and who they brought in with Deshaun. It, but it, it's it, it speaks to the talent mm-hmm. and how you can be great at something and get away with things that Mayfield thinks he can get away with. And obviously, Mayfield's things are not as severe in terms of allegations. But what we're saying is here, you, franchises will only be able to put up with as much as you can provide them. And I think that's where the line gets blurred. And him. it gets really blurry, too, because Deshaun Watson's issues off the field and what he's been accused of is undoubtedly in the real world, a hundred thousand percent more serious than anything that Baker Mayfield has been accused of. But that's not the world that they're trying to trade Baker Mayfield in. They're trying to trade Baker Mayfield in football world. And in football world, it is messed up as this sounds, and I don't condone it, but the issues that Baker Mayfield and the baggage that Baker Mayfield brings to the table might be seen as just as much as a headache to football front offices who are going to look at this in a more cynical way or a more football exclusive way because his problems are hard to separate from the artist because they come with what you have to hire him to be yeah. your quarterback, right? Yeah. That That's difficult right there. Um, so that's, that's been something that's gotten in his way. And look, I think you're dead on with that. I, I would expect this thing to carry on for a long time with the Browns, right? This might go on till training camp starts. Good. Andrew yeah. Barry is not going to be in, in a rush to do anything because he really doesn't have to be. Um, and when it comes to Baker and, and finding his trade value, he's going to be willing to sit on this whole thing 
for however long it takes. I think that's the message he put out before they got Deshaun Watson. I don't see why that changes because it's not like Watson's hit is prohibitive to them really keeping Baker Mayfield, right? If Baker Mayfield doesn't play it down, then you could just put it in your mind and say, oh, we're just paying Deshaun Watson $38 million. It's not ridiculous uh, for a cap hit for Deshaun Watson. So when, when it comes to the Browns and how they're going to handle this, they're going to hold out as long as possible. I think the second they traded for Watson, I felt like the compensation for Baker would be next year anyways. So mm-hmm. I think they're fine getting mm-hmm. next year's compensation, right? Yeah. They just have a number that they want to hit, and they're going to wait till they can get something close to that because right now the team's trying to talk you into attaching a pick to trade Baker Mayfield, and I just don't see Andrew Berry doing that. That's not no. how he operates. No, I don't think so either. And and like like we pointed out here at the beginning of this little uh, get-together we have, it's it's going to be a nice way to gauge the skill that is because there's there's varying levels of skill for GMs and some of it's convincing players to join your team and presentation and adjusting cap and adjusting roster depth and all of that. There's also the skill of timing, which is a real thing, knowing when to make a move, when not to make a move and maximizing value. This way more challenging tells us a lot more about Andrew Barry than the Watson trade in terms of execution of a deal to get uh, the the maximum uh, value out of a, a, a difficult situation for a player. So that will that will be fascinating. Let me ask you this as we close, Quincy. What is the absolute bare minimum you would take for a deal for Baker that you would feel like that is a success for the Browns? Bare minimum. A bare minimum? I would say a bare minimum would probably be a conditional third. That could maybe turn into a fifth, like, and I would be fine with that if you could get it next year. You know, maybe if it's next year, you could try to push it to a second. Um, But if they get if they get out of here positive with Baker Mayfield, because I think the real benefit of trading Baker Mayfield isn't what you're going to get in return. It's freeing. It's having that eighteen million dollars. Well, not all of the eighteen is going to be freed up, but having that portion of his uh cap hit freed up. So you can go and be a little bit more aggressive and and finalize some deals that you really want to finalize in free agency. Like if you want to bring back Clowney or if you want to bring back Jarvis or something like that. Um, That's really the benefit in in trading Baker. But as those situations kind of have hit a a dead end and they're just kind of waiting on more, Baker's situation is going to take this. Um, And we've seen with Andrew Berry with free agent signings in the past, he's willing to be patient, right? The Clowney thing didn't happen until April like April 20th last year, right? Um, He's willing to wait if he's got to wait and if it makes sense to wait. So I I would, if I was somebody who's following the situation closely, I would strap in for the long run here. I don't think anything probably gets done before the draft. I really don't. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if it does. And if it does get done before the draft, it needs to be one hell of a deal uh, when we talk about it. So <laughs> that you uh, that you feel justified in being kind of zealous and getting something done because you don't want to rush it. And I don't think Andrew Bray will. I think he's very calculated. I think he's he's he knows infinitely more than we do about the situation and what timing is best and what teams are at risk and what teams they're they're targeting and all of that stuff. So, yeah, if they make the trade before this this uh, this draft, like a second would feel pretty right to me to answer my own question. A second would feel OK. But if they can push it off like a, a third to a second, like seven, like I was looking Seattle as pick 72 could probably stomach a pick 72. But if that meant being patient and prolonging it, pushing it out to getting something much better in 23, 
uh, because reminder, you know, you got two picks missing next year that are even worse than the two picks this mm-hmm. year, which is a one and a three next year. So you kind of want to maybe supplement that a little bit because you have Deshaun's low cap hit this year. You can supplement some of the roster through free agency where things might get a little tighter. And next year you need to get some guys in the draft that you feel can be an uh, immediate assistant. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think Quincy's spot on buckle in. It's going to be a long, a long journey here. If something gets done before the draft, him and I are both saying we'll be a little bit surprised, but the long games at play and we'll be able to get a feel for Andrew Barry's skill here in the NFL in the early stages of his GM tenure. So uh, yeah, if there's something shakes out, we'll, we'll obviously have a podcast chatting on it, but until then we will uh, bury this topic until something of note comes up. So Quincy, thanks for your time. And I know everybody appreciates your, your input on the topic, man. Very well done. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Jake, for having me on. So now we get over to that interview with Jeff Lloyd, which is on the OBR Twitch channel. If you're not a subscriber or a follower to that Twitch channel, please do so. Great Browns content up nearly every day of the week as the season hits. As the draft gets close, we will also do plenty of stuff there covering all the angles. And that's what we try to do here with either draft options at 4478 and beyond at wide receiver and then some free agent options to discuss as well. I think Jeff did a great job here. So this is the last time you'll hear from me. I'll wrap up my bit with Jeff here in just a bit and that will end the pod. So thanks for checking out today's podcast. Appreciate your support. Let's get over to that Twitch replay with myself and Jeff Lloyd. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Man, I can tell you what, I can't even host a show right. Uh, welcome in. If I can unmute my mic, we are doing a new show here on Monday. Um, so we are welcoming in the new week. A lot of things happened. I think pretty obviously happened Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which we're going to we're going to chat about. And 
Uh, I think the one thing that we should probably all spend time chatting on now is, yes, it is going to be a little different on the OBR's uh, uh, setup here, how we how we structure things and what we do with our Twitch shows. So uh, if you do not know, uh, if you've not checked out the website, if you are not on the website or Twitter or anything like that, um, I think we can all agree that the Deshaun Watson situation has impacted all of us differently. And again, I've made this pretty clear. It, it is uh, uh, impacts everybody separately. You do what you think is right and necessary. We at the OBR are going to be as professional as we possibly can and uh, cover this thing, uh, cover the football team, cover the action on the field, uh, and, and, and cover the Browns. And, and that's what we're going to continue to do uh, with, with, uh, without commentary on judge jury executioner, which I've talked about. And, uh, that again, impacts people differently. Stephen Thomas, if you've been paying attention, Brown's mock draft, one of our great writers, draft content, um, and, and one of the excellent voices on this show and a good, good, good friend of mine has decided not to continue with Brown stuff. He has his personal reasons to which I do not need to go into, uh, but he has decided to uh, cease operations from his end of his Twitter account and, um, you know, the OBR family as well. And that's his choice, which we respect. And that is, uh, you know, that's that's Steve's angle. That's whatever he wanted to do, whatever he feels comfortable with. And we support him. So you will not be seeing Steve on shows moving forward. So, um, yeah, that's just that's that's it. That's OK. Steve's not <laughs> nothing happened. We're still friends. Everything's fine. I uh, still very much alive, but he is not going to be joining us on the shows any any longer or the website any longer as well. Uh, a choice that he made. So uh, I want to make sure to note things that are up on the page. We are going to continue with a lot of things that Stephen did. We're going to continue with uh, the mock draft dailies. They will not be as great as Steve because Steve took a lot of time with them and that was his sole purpose job. Uh, and he did great with those. Those will still continue on through the draft. They just will not be as uh, detailed because they just don't have the time to cover that. So we'll do the best we can with what we have. Myself, Corey Kennan, will be there. We'll still do the Dueling Mock show tomorrow night, um, so keep an eye out for that. And then uh, other things on the website, obviously, we had our Newswire today, which covered a lot of information, and then Taven Bryan Film Room went up from Corey Kennan as well. A uh, very detailed look at the defensive tackle that the Browns brought back. Keep asking your questions. Uh, keep firing over thoughts, and we will discuss some of them as the time comes. I'm going to welcome in good friend of the show. Does a fantastic job on his own podcast, which I'm sure most of you know. Um, he does his own stuff on his podcast, brings in Pete Smith a lot. Pete's been on this show. Pete's been on our Twitch. Pete's been on my pod. I've been on his pod. Same with Jeff. Jeff and I came into this sort of thing in 2018 around the same time. And a ton of respect for Jeff. I think he does fantastic work. If you're not following his podcast, make sure Locked On Browns, you are checking it out on the daily. Jeff, Lloyd, what's happening, brother? How are you? Um, been a crazy 72 hours, Jake. Um, and as you know, we actually had spoke, you know, Saturday night about um, all of this. Um, and look, for a lot of us here, we're all in different positions, different phases of our lives. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can speak for Jake. I can speak for myself. Um, a lot of what we do content wise is, is critical, um, as far as the cash flow of our families. And, um, as much as we're dealt here a hand that, you know, whether or not you love it, hate it, you're indifferent to it, whatever the, the situation may be. Um, we both worked really hard to get where we're at and it's become a major part of, you know, how, you know, our families function, how our lives function. Um, so we'll remain here. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a job, not every job, you know, is going to go the way you want it to. Um, but you know, we've, we've, we're committed to this. We've been committed to this. Um, for those of you that miss Steve, I, I'm glad you all got to know him. 
the way that Jake and I both know him. Great dude. Um, and I, I kind of knew, and you know, I, I think Jake kind of let it out. I mean, Steve kind of let it out to those close to him. This was something he probably didn't think he was going to be able to, you know, you know, go forward with. And I applaud him for that. There was a line in the sand. Um, it got crossed and, you know, he, he is a man of a word. Um, I still text him at least 10, 12 times today. Um, Steve's good, but, um, you know, it was just, it, it, it was, you know, for the, you know, for the man he is, it was something that, you know, it was difficult for him. But, um, you know, look, either way, the draft is coming here in about almost less than, I mean, a little bit more than a month now. Browns still have some work to do. Um, and there's still folks who are plenty, plenty interested. And for those folks, we're here and we're going to do the best we can to cover it. That's exactly right, Jeff. So we are going to uh, cover the football team because that's what we're all ultimately paid to do. So we are going to throw up questions that you guys have, move forward here, and I will try to get to them as best I can. I think the thing that is really interesting, Jeff, as it came out today, is this conversation around the, the extra pick. This pick that we did not know was out there. Movie fans 721 throwing out Browns lost an extra fourth round pick, which is strange. I don't know. Do you know of anything around this? Why both teams have announced terms and then all of a sudden it comes across the wire as a changed deal? It seems, I don't know, Jeff, not putting a conspiracy hat on here, but it does seem strange to see an extra pick added in. Not a not a big deal, but I mean the Browns had 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 as many picks as any team outside of New York in the first 118 still in this draft. Now all of a sudden you lose one. It gets it's just interesting. I don't know why that would come about later. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Can you think of any time you've seen it? I, I don't know. And look, I mean, conspiracy theory or not. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if this is as close to the one yard line as this deal was, if Houston said, we're not doing this unless we get pick 117 at this point. Yeah, pick 117. It's all yours. Um, I do love the fact that I've done about three or four radio spots over the last 24 hours and trying to paint this out as far as the compensation package, saying, well, the Browns still have five of the top 117 picks in this draft. Mm -hmm. um, so anybody who caught those, I, I apologize. Nobody knew this was coming. Um, and to be honest, no insider broke this. I mean, this was not given oh. to us by somebody within the league. This was by somebody who was monitoring trans transaction wire. I know Jack Duffin was one of those guys who was on it today. He said, you know, he put it out there before most of the major, uh, you know, reporters did. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe did. Did Cleveland maybe say to Houston, hey, could you just kind of keep that one under wraps? Um, but, I mean, at this point, you know, if you, you were this far into it, I don't think pick 117 would have said, been the, nope, can't do it. That's it. I mean, you know, you, this was heavily invested in both sides. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, it, you know, for everybody who's been doing their mock drafts, trying to you know, figure out the way it looks now where there is no first-round pick, Certainly changes things. Um, you know, the Browns do still have seven picks. I mean, I was one that uh, took the mental fart on it. Case Keenan was unloaded for a seventh round pick over the weekend. So the Browns still hold collectively seven picks in this draft. Um, it, it seems weird. Um, you know, you'd love some explanation, um, but let's be honest. I mean, as far as looking for explanations right now, as far as this deal, if it's about pick 117, that's probably not what we're looking for right now. I'm sure there's people who no. are looking for a lot more significant you know, explanations. But let's yeah, the, there, there's this wasn't going to stop the trade. I, I don't think. I don't think it was. Uh, I mean, it's not a. It's not a big, big deal or anything. It's just. It's just strange. I don't really know. And maybe we'll get an answer on this in the press conference if somebody gets a chance to ask it, or we can figure out from a reporter here in the coming days of like why this thing was held out and why maybe like they added it late. Was there something to all of this uh, that they wanted to add late? Why they did it? There has to be a reason. E each team announced it. The Texans want to show off all the things they received. The Browns want to 
get it over with. I don't know why they would want this to come out again. It's weird. But anyway, we'll see if an answer comes about some form or fashion there. Anyway, let's talk about pick 44. I think most of the players that we have conversations about, and we're looking this week, Jeff, at the at the at wide receiver, we're circling back. We do all the weeks, then we circle back on like the five or six position groups that matter to the draft. There are like there to me, there are some positions that as we sit here, they could be filled in the coming days, but there are positions that matter in this draft. We're starting wide receivers. So today I wanted to kind of, as we shift our thought away from 13, which we all know who we were talking about at 13, Jameson Williams, Drake London, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, all of those guys, Jameson Williams, those guys are out the door. They will all be gone, guaranteed gone by pick 43. So the Browns get up at 44 now let's start talking about guys that are of interest, and we will cover the defensive tackle and defensive end group later, I promise. We're, we got several weeks until the draft, still five weeks. Um, we're looking at wide receivers that, that catch your attention. If Jahan Dotson will start there, uh, and Kevo680, thank you for subscribing seven months in a row. Oh, well, it looks like somebody passed out some subs. Uh, OG Philly, five subs. Of appreciate course he did. Very much. Even I know that, and I'm not here very yeah. often. <laughs> yeah, appreciate you, OG. Thank you for that, man. Um, and that went out to a couple different people. But Jahan Dotson's a guy that's, that rings the bell a little bit here, right? So if he's there at 44, is he one of the guys you're into if they were into him? What do you like about his game? Uh, the thing I like about Jahan Dotson is, and look, Penn State, you talk about an offense that's kind of similar to the Cleveland Browns and I'm not everyone just slow down for a second in that they still play in, you know, a little bit of an older style type of football. They like to play defense down at Penn state. Uh, they hope to have the ability to run the ball. Um, they've never really had, you know, top shelf quarterback play in the beginning of 2022. That could be the case. Jahan Dotson. Some things that impressed me is understanding the nuances of his route, understanding when to basically pick it up. Um, you know, a defensive back is often by eight yards, bust your butt to close that gap as quick as you can hit that stem in the route, plant your foot, get to where you need to be. Um, the speed is there. Um, I think he tested a little bit lower than people expected him to, um, which makes an opportunity because there were times where, you know, it was starting to trend towards maybe Jahan Dotson was not going to be a possibility at all for the second round. Um, I think now that is certainly, uh, you know, a possibility for you Cleveland friends uh, who'd love to talk about the weather as far as a Cleveland Brown. I think we're going to be okay and check the boxes here with a picture like this of Jahan Dotson. Uh, solid athlete, um, you know, production uh, in multiple years, you know, decent, solid production in multiple years at Penn State. Um, O.J. McDuffie, for the older folks in the room, former Penn State receiver, longtime Miami Dolphin, absolutely loves the kids' game. Um, that's certainly a selling point for me. It just doesn't matter that you went to the school. He could have talked about any player from Penn State. Uh, certainly wanted to speak up about Jahan Dotson. And I think now the path is a little bit smoother when you're talking, oh, well, is it a wide receiver maybe in the second round or the third round? Um, you have Amari Cooper. You think the uh, growth plan for Donovan Peoples-Jones um, should continue. Um, if Anthony Schwartz isn't ready, you know, maybe Jakeen Grant can do some things early. I think Dotson could contribute in, you know, the, the jet motions, maybe a jet sweep here or there. For me, he's a really, really interesting option at 44. Uh, I do believe, and actually this probably worked out well for you, Jake, that you're doing wide receiver today. Because if they're going to do something wide receiver-wise here in the coming weeks, it's going to be minimal. Um, if you were to do the D line show tonight, that is something that could drastically change. Certainly, uh, you know, over the next week or two, or maybe I'm sorry, maybe even next week when you did your next episode. But John Dotson is a, a player I like, and I think there's a cha- opportunity for him to progress 
in the NFL from a statistical output that he put down in his days in Happy Valley. Yeah, he's a guy who has an interesting inside-out plug, too. Like, people kind of have tried to peg him as a slot, Jeff. I found that interesting because he's, you know, he can play slot stuff, but he has played a lot of snaps outside for, um, you know, for his his guys as well. One thing, so, one thing, I reached out to some Penn State people, and part of the reason maybe they decided to put him in the slot was they were there maybe were some concerns about the arm strength of the quarterback. So maybe they thought yeah. in to an to enhance one of their best assets, keeping him closer and obviously to, you know taking the range of some of the throws to your best playmaker as far as a wide receiver, that was a better avenue for them. And obviously it works out for a player like Jahan Dotson because I mean we the NFL loves their slot wide receivers. Um, but the ones that have the chance to be, you know, go to you know more of the hierarchy in the NFL are the ones that can excel in any spot you put them in. Yeah, and he's got experience in both, and that's what you like. A team that runs 12 personnel 11, you can keep him on the field as a slot, right, Jeff? But also when you take those guys off, you have two wide receivers. He's comfortable enough to play outside. The other guy that we are talking about here, bigger body, hamstrung by some injuries that happen, but still when he's gotten on the field, you saw it in the playoff, he can play. Mr. Pickens, talk about what you like about him and where he might surprise people and be in play a little earlier than we think at 44. This is where it's interesting for Pickens and, you know, obviously a good buddy of ours, John Costco. Yeah. You know, so from the PFF landscape, he is somebody that they, you know, think highly of. Um, And again, this is another player who played in an offense similar to what succeeds for the Cleveland Browns. You run the ball well. Wide receivers need to block. Uh, Obviously, Pickens is capable of that. Um, You the the production um, you if you base it down to, you know, percentage, the opportunities he was given. He excelled with um, and, and did really, really well in that avenue. You know, obviously flashed early in his career at Georgia. Um, and one of the things that impresses me is he didn't have to come back. He didn't really have to come back, um, you know, risking himself in these late season games. You know, Georgia was kind of set as far as the style of football they were playing. So there certainly there's a competitor in there um, not to you know go Brown's way or Georgia way. There's definitely some dog into him. But uh, he was a player that, you know, if you had said, you know, before the knee injury, you know, late last spring, you know, George Pickens was definitely considered to be a guy who was going to be mentioned in round one. Obviously, some players, you know, got some opportunities this season, rose their stock while Pickens mentioned, uh, you know, uh, sat most of the season. He's a player I like. Um, I, I like the body. He comes in. He's honestly, you know, probably comes in. He's the biggest wide receiver in the room. Um, you know, you what? You know, they. I think they do want to, you know, add a little bit of size, knowing that Grant is smaller, knowing that Schwartz is smaller. Amari Cooper. You know, I wouldn't say he's small, but he's not really this big menacing target. Donovan's Peoples Jones right now. You would consider to be the biggest wide receiver in the room. Um, but you, you would like the opportunity to go big, so you could, you know, run, you know, a twelve personnel of you know Nick Chubb. Um, Obviously, Pickens, DPJ, and have you tight ends out there, you know, have some maneuverability with those type of guys, athletes, big, all of them, all of them pretty good athletes. Makes for, you know, some certainly interesting, you know, dynamic as to what you're going to do here. Because I think what we know for sure to this point in 2022 is going to be a million tons times of Amari Cooper, a lot of reps for Amari Cooper. And a lot of these guys are going to be on a growth plan. And whoever can succeed the quickest will see the path to, you know, being what would be labeled wide receiver two. For sure. That's what they're trying to do is, like you said, if you can get people that are tough to cover one form or fashion, bigger bodies, guys who can move, get down the field. They think they have a quarterback now who can create more of those opportunities given the natural ordinance of the offense. Uh, I do think it starts to become interesting, Jeff. Another name I want to get your opinion on. I think you might not be quite as high as others. 
That's Sky Moore. <laughs> Listen, we got to have a talk with him about his wide receiver number. Anybody wearing wide receiver number 24, it's kind of hard to take them all too serious. But Sky Moore deserves to be taken serious, and there are people based on especially his best 10-yard – the 10-yard split for him was the best in this draft class in terms of burst. There's a lot of uh, There's a lot of attention there. There's a lot of people that really like him. What are you a little hesitant about, Jeff? Um, I me, mean, this is for me, it's a competition thing. It, it, it's, you know, and look, everything about it checks out. Athleticism checks out. Statistical production checks out. Age isn't an issue. And be honest with you, look at him right there. That looks like a running back as far as rocking that number 24. <laughs> that needs to be a single digit. There needs to be a one dead center on that chest. Um, we'll let it go, Sky Moore. Um, for me, I think it's just more, there's more guys that I find appealing. I think I know exactly what Sky Moore is. This could be one maybe where I'm talking myself into maybe a potential of a Jahan Dotson, the potential of, you know, a, a, a Pickens going further. And the other thing is, is, you know, per two drafts now with Andrew Barry, um, the way it's been construed, it's been power five except one selection in both of these drafts. So, look, I'm not saying Sky Moore can't be that guy where they buck the trend this year. And, you know, look, to this point, they drafted one in each of the three years. Um, I think he's smart. I think he's technical. But when I see a player with him, you know, the senior uh, going against the is, you know, I wonder is is he beaten up, you know, on inferiority? Um, you know, look, I could be dead wrong here. Uh, you know, this is a good wide receiver class. There's got to be some that you put in a pecking or higher than others. Um, and I think for the most part, I think I'm an anomaly here on this one. It, it's nothing. It, it's nothing personal. I just think that there's some things that you. Know, it, the way it's worked for Sky Moore, you know, certainly maybe give me just a little bit of pause. Um, maybe it's the fact that God's sakes, he really, really knows Mike Tomlin and his family very well. I don't know. But <laughs> with all that being said, Jake, um, it, of course, we're going to say that Sky Moore is going to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers and have, you know, a Heinz Ward type career. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. It's, it's a thing that makes you w- worry a little bit. Can, can you, can you find a role for him? He's got the explosiveness. I think we also need to shift our frame of mind around the types of receivers that have come in here and the types of receivers that will fit now. I think this is why you start to ask this question about the next guy I'm going to bring up, which is I understand completely the uh, concerns built around the guardrails. I totally get it. Uh, <laughs> but but you're talking about just if they want to get athletes on the field and they view their window as right now, Jeff, it's no longer later. It's right now. You start you start to look at the other Watson, which is which is Christian Watson here. So I know he's older. I know some of the things are raw, but like pretty athletic. He's going to fit all of those specifications. And if they want somebody to be their version of MVS or Will Fuller from the draft, right? Uh, you got a chance to draft that player. I think if you looked at pick one hundred eight, <laughs> was like a range. I picked him in today's mock draft. But if you look at range 99 through 118, I would be interested. But I don't think 78 is probably where they'd have to take him. And he could be long gone before then. Long gone. Because not every team goes in line with the, uh, the the age guardrails the Browns do. So I guess the question is, 44-78, are you into him at that early selection? Because 44 might have to be there. He could, in a world, guys, in a month and a half here, when this draft comes up, he could be gone. He could be gone before 44. So I guess the question is, is if he's sitting there at 44, do you think he's worth the time, the pick, the effort, the energy? Look, um, you like the fact that he's multifaceted. And one of the big things that's been discussed about the wide receiver class and the NFL in general here in the last you know few months is, can I get a Debo Samuel? And you look at size, 
matches up. Speed matches up. Has he done things that everybody has fallen in love with Debo Samuel? Does he do those things? He's carried the ball. Uh, he's physical, physical player. He gets in there. Was there a lot of opportunities for him as far as a straight pure receiver? No, but that wasn't a knock on his ability. North Dakota State, I mean, they've done what they've done for so long. We don't have to open things up. We don't have to throw for 500 yards a game because until you stop us from the simplistic of things, we're not going to worry about the extreme things. Here is the one thing with Christian Watson, and this is not a negative. Demetrius Felton was 23 his entire rookie season for the Cleveland Browns, a summer birthday, a late summer birthday. Christian Watson would be 23 years old his entire rookie season for the Browns. You know, he's really, really close as far as using, as far as where his guardrail is concerned. Um, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky with him. Um, you certainly, the thing with drafting at 44 is you expect this guy's going to be able to do everything I want him to do. And that's where maybe a little bit of pause, you know, pause and hesitation comes from is because he doesn't have those eye popping receiver numbers. And, you know, Showed well at Mobile, showed very well in, you know, a higher volume thing. It's all there. Is this a question where the system held him back? And will he be ready to go? And it's always difficult to ask somebody coming from a level like this, are we going to see the best version of this guy in the NFL? That's something you got to ask yourself. I mean, can he easily dupe what he did there? Sure, but enough to warrant being number 44. And that's where it gets tough. If you love him, it's 44. I agree with you. Size, athleticism, um, you know, everything he can do on it. I don't think he sniffs 78. I don't think there's a shot of it. Yeah, I don't think he sniffs 78 either. It's, it's, it's definitely going to be a matter of the athlete is too good. No matter the age, being this athletic period in your life is, is, a, is, a, is a thing that's hard for people to, to ignore, <laughs> even if there are some technical deficiencies, as we know there are some technical deficiencies in his game. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. Is there anybody else, Jeff, that you would like wide receiver draft 44 or 78 that really piques your interest? At 44 and 78, it's a little difficult. It really is. I'm going to just throw one thing out here. Okay. And we went through this in the 20, let's see here. I'm just making sure I'm out of the 2020 draft. We were right about this time. And I do believe, you know, he went right in this range. The Browns didn't hold this pick at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but Pete kept saying, why not Grant Delpit? Okay. And, I, and for me, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, the reason it was just like, I never thought he would be here. But I don't know where this league is right now on Traylon Burks. I got to be honest. And when we start using terms for a player like Traylon Burks, oh, well, the testing was poor. He was having weight issues. You tell me that. Who's drafting that in the first round? You know, whatever you think of this film or not, that's when they say weight was an issue, that's something in the back of your head goes, hmm, you may really makes you wonder. I wouldn't be more, I, I wouldn't be stunned if Traylon, if we got to Friday night, round one complete, and a lot of people were saying, we're going to have to have a Traylon Burks dis discussion. Because one thing you never, look, linemen, it's okay. We hear it all the time, about three, four linemen every year. But when we're talking about a wide receiver, six weeks, I guess his pro day was last week, you know, it was a week after the combine. When we're talking about a player's weight and whether or not they can have it where it needs to be, I don't know if that's some, I don't know if that's a player that somebody's going to put a first round investment into. 
it's it's a really really and I like the kid. I love the kid's game, and you know maybe I'm trying to maneuver this, manufacture this. But when we're talking about a wide receiver, and oh, he was almost up to 245 last fall. That's something that's going to pause. It gives some pause and hesitation in a room whether or not you think that is first round worthy. Let me ask you this, Jeff. If if who okay, the day day one comes and goes. Burks. Is there anybody else realistic who could fall out of the first round or is sitting there guys we've talked about that you would be interested in moving up to go get those guys. Now I know some things have to happen. They might sign some wide receivers and it becomes moot. But as we sit here today, you would say, man, if that guy's sitting there, I would go up to 33, whatever it took to go up to 33 and get that guy and get him on my roster for right now. Is Burks the only guy you can think of there? Is there anyone else at the wide receiver position? I would say yes, I definitely would because I think you what about get Jameson if he falls with the injury. Jameson Williams is Jameson Williams is wide receiver one in this draft. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from anybody. He and look, I know it's one year versus obviously what Garrett Wilson did. And Garrett, look, Garrett Wilson went into the combine, walked out of the combine, basically lit a cigar and said, All right, y'all figure out the rest of this because I stamped my name on this. Um, but Jameson Williams obviously did not have that opportunity. Um, I don't think that and this is another one. I don't think there's an chance in hell because i think somebody will jump up in round one and say look if i get him back in december i'm cool with it or a good team buffalo bills one of these teams that says look you ain't got to do it right away you know when, when you're ready you're ready but burks if he, this was the case and now you're talking to a kid young man from the south obviously probably somebody who's seen you know deshaun watson a career path somebody he's followed you know what yeah we're gonna have to have a conversation here about the fact that Traylon Burks is still on the board when we hit about midnight Thursday night, and we're going to stew on it, you know, for about 16, I'm sorry, 18, 20 hours. That's going to cause some legit, you know, let's sit down here and you know, where are we at with the rest of this picks? What do we feel we truly need to get done in this? Because we may have had something attainable fall our way that we never thought was going to be there. Yeah, that's that's where those some of those discussions uh, about positions of need you talked about some dns and d-line guys that could the travis jones of the world or you know if david let me ask you this one too i know it's not d-line week and we'll get there but uh if Ojabo's sitting there a couple picks out in front of where you're at i know the achilles is nasty but are you moving up for him is there anybody else you feel inclined to like jump up and take or you very much sit still or or do you i mean this is an interesting draft jeff because now they just lost another pick do you see them trying to gather more ammunition for down the line that's where i start to get like curious well, I, it, it, here's what, you know, if you can tell me, you know, that Jadavian Clown is coming back, they're going to sign a defensive tackle. That tells me, guess what? The first 22 is covered. You've got your starters everywhere. Everybody who's going to be a starter on this team is already within the building. That'll obviously give you a lot more flexibility as to what you can do here as far as filling out the roster and for what will trend to be maybe your final 53. Burks will be one of those guys. Ajabo, that's obviously going to be like a, a pup list candidate. Um Ajabo, I think it's there's a ton there. There really is. But the question is going to be, you know, he was raw. He was really raw. And there was things you still had to work with him on. And the thing with David Ajabo in this situation is, is, you know, it's really hard to work with him on it in film. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? This is one where it's, hey, David, can you stick after 10 minutes? Uh, you know, with Kip, Mr. Kiffin here, you know, let's work on the hand work. You know, the pads are coming out. No, you're going up. You need to go down with this hand. You need to go over with this hand. And those are things going to be really difficult to do with a guy who's coming back from an Achilles injury. 
if you're in on it and you look, if you loved him before and you thought he was any possibility that he was 13, then you can't ignore the fact that he could be possibly there at 44. Um, certainly not an ideal situation, but you know, you make these selections in the mind of, look, it is not necessarily just this year. And, you know, maybe he comes back in his sophomore year, you know, in his second year, and he's a really, really solid player. He'll be a guy, and he's going to be a tough call for a lot of teams because I'm sure there were a ton of teams that truly, truly liked him anywhere maybe from that 10 to 30 range. And now you got some decisions to make because now you can basically get him, you know, a whole round cheaper, and you can get three seasons as a possible starter at edge, and you're paying absolutely peanuts for him. Another question is Alave going round one, in your opinion. I don't think you can see a guy run routes down the field as well as he does. Now, I know he doesn't bring a ton of after the catch that some people crave, but if you get enough separation and you find ways to get open and you find ways to vertically get get separation acquired, it's really hard, especially considering Green Bay accumulating extra picks. So many teams that are sitting in that back half that will be interested in extra players at that position. It's hard for me to see Alave leave round one, Jeff. Would you agree? The hard part I have here is I love Chris Olave. I love no. Chris, Jake. You know how I get about guys who just run routes and understand. Yeah. And the thing I like about Chris Olave is he is smart enough to run his routes to where the point is. I'll make this catch, but somehow I'm also going to avoid getting blasted as, you know, I'm ahead of the corner, but the safety's got the angle. He's really, really nuanced and smart on setting up his quarterback for throwing a protective ball. One, I'll catch, but dude, don't lay me out. Um, And this is the part I have is I don't want Chris Olave to have to go deal with Aaron Rodgers. Um, You know, look, it was enough that Devontae Adams said, you know, look, I'm going to look for mine and I'm going to go because essentially what we're hearing is that the money was the same. Um, And, you know, Aaron Rodgers certainly put that team in the position they are. But I hate for Chris Olave to have to go. And the way it looks is, you know, go in there and, hey, you're going to be Aaron Rodgers' guy. That's a lot of pressure for a kid that I really like. Do I think he's capable of it? Yeah. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, difficult at times and, you know, puts too much focus on his number one receiver that, you know, it's always going to be you. And then we'll feed off on the secondary third guy, fourth guy, um, Mm -hmm. tough spot for Chris Olave to be in, but he's certainly, certainly in contention for that spot. Who, let me ask you this. So we'll kind of start to wind down a little bit, fire off your questions. I'm trying to keep up with those questions guys. Um, as best I possibly can. There was a question here about a job in the, in the, in the late round one. We just answered that one. Uh, Zarmley, thanks for finding us, man. Appreciate you finding us. Um, yeah, we, we start to talk about moves before the draft, Jeff, we know what they're going to do at DN. Let me ask you about two. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's the Pierce kid, Cincinnati, Alec Pierce. Like, where are you on him? Great tester. To me, it's a duplication of Donovan people's Jones though. It's the same, it's the same vertical route tree player. He's an X. He's a lanky guy, just like Donovan. Great athlete. I think there's some some interesting element to that. But like, I like the player. I just think we already have that type of player here who's young, right? I, I just me personally. You might like him differently than that, but that's how I view him. I would say if we were having this discussion a week ago, where you know you thought maybe this wasn't going to work out, and the Browns were in a position, is it Baker Mayfield or is it going to be somebody similar? to Baker Mayfield. Sean Watson could throw a vertical. Um, maybe Alec Pierce has a little bit more appeal now. I'm not saying he does, but I'm saying I think it, you know, Alec Pierce, all right, I also I, I do think maybe his size, his athleticism, 
the verticality, Jake, you and I would have been saying for, you know, two seasons now. Um, if this team can't get vertical, there's only so much they can do offensively. And so would it be really that bad to say, okay, well, Pierce can get vertical. DPJ can get vertical. Um, Anthony Schwartz can get vertical. Cooper can do what he wants to do. He can use Kareem Hunt. He can use Demetric Felton. I, I would say he, I would say maybe he's a little bit more of a Browns target today than maybe he was the way this was currently constructed, obviously, just a, a few days ago. Um, he's an interesting player. And I, I think for him, it, it, it's a tough spot because I think there's teams that are conflicted now. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you're, you're a little bit more, you know, thinking, you know, you like Alec Pierce now that the testing was better than you presumed. Um, but, you know, then there's the other aspect of, you know, he is what he is. And, you know, I, I want to run some screen games. I, I need some guys that, you know, can confuse defenses as far as jet motions and those type of things. Um, you know, no question the guy is certainly on the rise. The question would be is, you know, is he more on the radar, so to speak, now that you have a player like Deshaun Watson? I would say yes, but um, it would also depend. I mean, if the Browns are in a position where they can't go wide receiver at 44, is this name now now a name that maybe looks a little bit more prettier at seventy eight? Yeah, I think I think he's he's interesting at seventy eight. I just wonder some of the replication of skill sets become interesting to me. So I wanted to throw that out there. Kevo asked about Mechie. Mechie, a guy who's just been overlooked because of all of the talent around him for years, gets hurt. Unfortunately, gets hurt right before JMO gets hurt. Uh, the game before JMO gets hurt there in the semifinal. And it's heartbreaking for him because he probably had late first, second, early second talent, but now slips a little bit. Are you interested in Mechie at 44? Do you start to see him uh, as a realistic player if he's there at 78? Have you given him much study, Jeff? No, I, I do like John Mechie. And it was actually funny the way this season went because obviously everybody it, you know, watching Alabama was all about Mechie. You know, there was this kid who transferred in out of Ohio State that had a couple of blips, a couple of flashes up in Columbus. Um, and they were, I thought they were a beautiful, beautiful combination. And I kind of described it a couple times. Um, you know, you look like you know, what the Cowboys had in obviously, you know, CD Lamb and Amari Cooper. I thought between Jamison Williams and John Mechie, they were that kind of combination. You know, Jamison was one that was going to scare the living daylights out of you. So if you put your attention that way, John Mechie was one that was going to kill you to death. And, you know, you love the phrase, you know, death of a thousand paper cuts. I think John Mechie would have been that guy because, oh, guess what? Keep dropping your safeties. No problem. I'll work this middle. I, you know, I'll do my, uh, you know, my my uh, quick, you know, bang routes where it's five yards in and I'm going right to a sideline. Um, Mechie, the question's going to be is, you know, how much do the Browns need? You know, can the Browns be patient with an injured player? Um, we'll see. I, I don't know if they're going to be able to have that kind of timetable, um, especially with the fact that, you know, you may not have your quarterback, you know, Right away, uh, you may be playing with a Jacoby Brissett. You may be playing with a Nick Mullins. Would you rather be able to have all these guys there so they can get acclimated? And then when a player, uh, you know, Mechie's ilk is ready to go, you know, it's kind of a thing. It's it's a tough spot with these guys, and I, and I, I hate the process, and it aggravates me for Jamison Williams, John Mechie, and certainly for David Ojabo. I mean, these kids put in, you know, you know, two set, you know, basically two decades to get to this point. And a lot of it just gets rocked to its core, and it's really, really, really tough. Um, Mechie, I think, will end up career-wise, will end up being under-drafted um, just because I think he's one of those guys. Everybody wants one in the wide receiver room, um, but it's not one of those ones that you're going to go all in on. He's going to certainly have more value during his NFL career, and maybe it's the injury than he did during his draft process. 
Yeah, a little bit like Russell Gage in a sense for me, more athletic version of that player, but a guy yep. who can be a nice player for the right cost. So I'm interested in Mechie, just more interested around pick 78 or in the, in the late 60s if they were to try to jump up. We've had a slew of really good questions. Uh, young uh, young WB217, Logan Hall, Travis Jones, we will get to that later, this uh, upcoming draft portion. This is more wide receiver focused today. The same with Trey McBride. I promise we'll get to more of the offensive depth people. I'm in on Trey McBride. It's just a matter of what they want to keep investing at that wide or at that tight end position uh, down the line here. If they think that that commitment to get him is too much and they're not going to use him as much or they don't know that he's going to have a, a role that is worthy. So we'll see what happens. He's going to go early. A question here, uh, a couple, Pete, about guys on the roster. Sorry, Jeff. Uh, this all yeah, sorry, right. We're confused with the same pain in the ass. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Is he set to make a big jump? Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um I think that's a very good question. I do think he's set to make a nice leap forward. Uh, I think he was missed in opportunities last year and is a nice vertical threat player that can go get the football, contested catch back shoulders. I think he's set to have another decent step. I guess what we'll see here, Jeff, is how much the Browns think that as well. If they go get somebody that's going to eat snaps from him, they that would be our answer, right? It would be a, we think that we need to challenge him with another player, Will Fuller type player, because that player is the similar player. We think we need to challenge him. So that is an interesting one. Uh, I want your thoughts on DPJ leaping next year. Well, I mean, first things first, you like the arc that he has been on as a former sixth round pick. Um, I think this is kind of maybe the issue we had. I, I think there's people who weren't satisfied with his season this year. And look, this guy was really, really in a tough spot. You know, we came away from camp saying, Donald Peoples-Jones was the best wide receiver during training camp. You knew Odell was coming back. Um, Jarvis, it's a pitch count thing. Obviously, it was, you know, politeness to a veteran. You knew that was going to be the case. But mm -hmm. then, you know, it started off slow for Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then, of course, when Odell Beckham Jr. came back, it was slow. So for a guy like, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, it's a tough spot to be in. You know, I did all the work this summer. Here I am kind of, you know, the forgotten man. I think we are seeing what we need to see from Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I think there needs to be a realistic aspect of it. It's growing, you know, within time. Um, if you want to say, you know, it depends on what you think. If you tell me it's 49, 50 receptions for 675 yards next year off the touchdowns. Yeah. That's commensurate to what you yeah. would think gradual progression would be. Amari Cooper's going to be here. Um, there's going to be certain, I mean, if you get Watson for as many games, you possibly can get him. He has no problem throwing the deep balls, which is certainly a lot more favorable to Donovan Peoples Jones. He gets funky out of his breaks on shorter routes. Um, and that is something that does happen with bigger wide receivers. It's, it's just harder to get so much moving in a short area and have everything lined up to make the reception and have the ability to have run after the catch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about what you think legitimate expectations are for Donovan. For me, you know, we're talking 45 to 50, any six, you know, 650 to seven. I think it's there. I, I truly think it is. And, you know, keeping in mind that he was a six round pick. So it, it wasn't that there was any bad thing to it. And, you know, as far as, you know, the player he is, look, Michigan did him zero favors. You know, I've talked to people that said he went into Michigan and came out of Michigan, the same player he was. Um, so obviously, you know, with a player like that, it, it's, there's going to have to be some time. And if it yeah. wasn't for the fact that he was a really, really great athlete, great size, went to a you know power five school, you'd say this wide receiver who was drafted in the sixth round 
look at his two years. It looks like you've, you, you've really hit the nail on the head as far as a sixth-round pick. Um, I think, you know, maybe a little bit's being overblown because the name is known, the school is known. But Donovan Peoples-Jones, I am more than satisfied as far as, you know, the arc that he has made. And I think it was, we get to a situation here with, you know, with the way 2021 went. You know, everybody's trying to point a finger at everybody, and it's yeah. not fair. Donovan Peoples-Jones, from where he was drafted, um, from the work he has put in, I, I think you've got to be more than thrilled as to where you are at this point in this young man's career. Yeah, I think that you can say that he has another tier to unlock because I don't think he's got another a bunch of – I don't think he's a wide receiver one, but I do think he has another tier. You're talking kind of spot on, Jeff. Can he climb – to 700, 800 yards, six, seven touchdowns. Yes, the quarterback play gets better for him. Yes, that is an outcome that I think is a win, uh, and that tier is unlocked because of better quarterback play. Now, again, there could be some suspension stuff here, and he doesn't get 16, 17, 18 games of better quarterback play, but there's that element I think is still looming with that being unlocked and still a very young guy. His teammate there, and I promise, Sports Surge, we're going to close with your question in just a moment. But his teammate there, Anthony Schwartz, is a is a is a guy that we're still kind of wondering about if there's a a jump for Schwartz coming. So I think our our uh, viewer here, Theo Shen, asked, love the uh, Wario outfit there, my friend. What is the expectation <laughs> for Anthony Schwartz in year two? I think Jeff, the expectation is, can he be an effective gadget player now that they have a different quarterback? Can they use him more jet fly sweep stuff? Can he actually be a factor in reverse game? Can he catch some shallow crosses and turn them into 20 yard gains? I don't think there's some gigantic output leap for him, but if he could like creep to 150 rushing yards on some big runs, have 300 passing yards, that to me would be like uh, 300 receiving yards. That would be a nice, uptick for Anthony Schwartz what you want to see is him unlock a faster player less hesitancy on the field playing a bit more free I think that's there but it's not guaranteed so I'm just curious what you think about him as we go into an important year two for him the the craziest thing is you know you look at Anthony Schwartz's rookie year in a hole uh you walk out of week one obviously you know you you felt you had the game against the Chiefs uh it fell apart and then you look down and you go Anthony Schwartz almost 100 total yards who the hell saw that coming? Um, nobody saw it coming. You barely saw the kid over the summer. Um, and then he goes out week one in his NFL debut, and it's almost 100 total yards. Um, and then you go to you know New England. Um, and obviously the devastating – I mean, not enough people talk about that. I mean, the hit Anthony Schwartz took that in that nasty. New England game. And New England that day was – they were not out there just tackling people. They were out there blowing people up. So now here is all this time where you know Anthony Schwartz is – here but again if you can't do anything on the field look you can watch a film to your blue in the face but the point of film is to see what is incorrect what is correct and applying that into correcting your mistakes or accentuating your positives and anthony had a long gap where he couldn't do that i was really excited for the christmas day game for him just because he was able to get out there do some things and you know i I think that didn't didn't blow the year for him in his own mind. Like, look, I can still do this. And you look at the room the way it's currently constructed. Amari Cooper is the best wide receiver in the room, and he's the best route runner. Donovan Peoples-Jones is a good vertical threat and has good size. Anthony Schwartz has that calling card. And if we've talked about this for two years straight now with this team, the inability to get vertical, we're hoping that is erased. We're hoping that is not an issue anymore as far as having a quarterback 
willing to take the shots when they were there. You have to be responsible for Amari Cooper. You're going to have to watch the tight ends. You know these backs, they have to be honored out of the backfield. Kareem Hunt is really good. Felton is really good as a receiver. Nick Chubb seems to get a little bit better, and people underestimate that. But sub-4-3 is sub-4-3. And all it's going to take is, you know, one week for somebody not honoring it and Anthony Schwartz catching a 75-yard touchdown to where now, what do we do? You know, he's fast. He's big. He's a fantastic route runner. We didn't even mention the joke where Harrison Bryant. And, and that's things that's going to open up. You know, Anthony, look, I mean, it's going to be another thing where this offseason, and this is a guy, again, it was not always football for Anthony Schwartz. And it's really hard to just say, oh, well, he should have made the jump because his last year at Auburn, you know, there was it was just football. No, there's a lot of stuff Anthony Schwartz missed in his time down at Auburn because he was a track athlete. It, it's a fact. There's no way around that. Um, look, everything and what thing, I, I really enjoy this kid. You know, I don't watch much European soccer, but it's seeing Anthony Schwartz up on 7 a.m. on a Sunday. He truly loves sports. Um, so obviously you think the work is not going to be a question, and he's going to put it in. And I, I think there's, there's, you know, again, this is not going, he's not going to be Tyreek Hill. That's fine. Could he maybe be McCall Hardman? It, that's good enough. That's really, really good enough because, you know, you can work out the rest of the stuff. Um, I think people automatically see sub four, three, and you start to put him to, you know, and that's the Tyreek Hill effect. He's never going to be that. But, you know, if you can have some McCall Hardman there, that's going to be more than serviceable. Let's let's uh, let's shift to this question. Uh, the guys that are on the market, we have two questions to close. There's been some awesome, awesome questions put in the chat, guys. I'm sorry we can't get to all of them. There was one here that struck a nerve that I wanted to get to. Uh, Zarmley asking, what would, advice would you give for someone who wants to get into sports reporting for a career? A, find a niche you're good at. Find something you're good at and better than anybody else, or at least you think you can compete and work your butt off. There, there's no other thing. Work as hard as you possibly can to put out as much quality content as you possibly can the right people will take notice um free agents jeff who who do you who do you think of the guys on the market a couple that are interesting for you if they do try to attack it at the wide receiver position yes sir that, that's tough i mean we're, we're getting really down to the nuts and bolts of it are you in, let me ask you this. are you in on will fuller or not do you think it's worth a cheap deal or not <sighs> Here's a couple things. Will Fuller has a big injury history over his time. Um, he also, there was some questions last year about Will Fuller, where he was at you know, with everything, his life, everything, this, that, and the other thing. Um, obviously, everybody's talked about the fact that Watson, Fuller are a package deal. My thing is, where are we talking financially? What are we talking financially? Is it one year, $3 million? Is it, you know, a lot of incentives? you know, that type of thing. Um, you know, I understand the buddy system and, you know, maybe, you know, the Browns, because they are this committed to it. If this is something where your quarterback says, Hey, you know, this would make things in my opinion, easier for me. Um, you certainly have to approach that. Um, the other thing for Will Fuller is everybody said, you know, had them all connected. Was this connected where it was New Orleans? Was this connected where it was Atlanta? Is this connected where it was somewhere else in the Southeast? Um, you know, he's played in Houston. He's played in Miami. You know, is he ready to, you know, make this trip with apparently his boy up to Cleveland? Because Will Fuller ain't getting $230 million guaranteed. So the question is going to be there. But look, 
I'm okay with it. And I understand it's certainly a real possibility. If you told me it came down to Jarvis Landry coming back for one year, six million, or Will Filler one year, three million, I know what Jarvis is going to do. Uh, I'm a little bit more confident with that. But, you know, and it does, look, it does feel disingenuous to say things like this. But if that's what he tells you he needs and what he would like, you're in a position now where, you know, you are really, really attached to this guy for the next five seasons. If it's something he's asked for, you, you got to listen. Um, he's good at what he does, but also part of what he does is Anthony Schwartz-esque. Donovan Peoples-Jones, a little bit bigger. Yeah, Donovan Peoples-Jones kind of does this too. Who's going to be, you know, who's going to be your chain mover on third and six when everybody is throwing the coverage at Amari Cooper and you're out there with three guys who exceed in your vertical routes. Not, you know, I, it does create a problem. Best part about this, Jake, is well, as you were sitting there, your shirt is so perfectly lined up with your display name. I love it. <laughs> I meant that, right? I meant that on purpose. <laughs> and then moves yeah. like it floats every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen. This has been a great show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Make sure you guys are checking out Jeff's Locked On Browns podcast every day. He's doing that podcast. It's fantastic stuff. Really, really appreciate you. Appreciate everybody. We have over 110 people the entire time tonight. We'll continue to jump on Dueling Mock Show with Corey Kennan tonight. We'll have another guest, sorry, tomorrow night with uh, with a third party. Shout out to Jeff again. Check out Locked on Browns. Every single day gets delivered to your inbox, just like the OBR film breakdown. Jeff and I try to provide the best daily podcast content out there. Jeff's doing it. I'm trying to lead. Sorry, follow his example. Check us both out. Check out Locked on Browns. Check out the OBR film breakdown. Check out the website where we have some great stuff coming as well. Appreciate you guys so, so much. Join us at the website if you have not. You will not regret it. Great Browns content coming throughout this offseason. Thanks again to Jeff. Thanks again to you guys for joining. We appreciate you. And go Browns.